if you'd like to turn uh, to your Bible, and you'll see them in the pews there, and page uh, 973, page 973, and it's Matthew chapter 9, so do look at it in a Bible, you may have it on a smartphone or whatever, um, but page 973 in the church Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, and I'm just going to read that before Carraway comes to um, speak on it. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then go on to verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who'd been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of our harvest, of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me pray for Bishop Carraway as he comes to speak. Heavenly Father, thank you for Bishop Carraway. Thank you for him and Mosson being with us. And thank you for all he's already shared of your goodness in the world and in his life. And we pray now as he speaks on this good news, we pray that you would be speaking to each one of us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jacob. Yes, let's, let's turn to that passage. I love this passage so much. Because in this passage, Jesus shows us some key revelations about himself. First of all, looking at this story, you find a very interesting tension between the Pharisees and Jesus. And Jesus here touches on the very thing they were grumbling about. They were grumbling about the fact that he said, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, it says in the text, said to them, why do you entertain evil thoughts? Because he wanted to show them and remind them 
that only God could forgive human sins. But because he was God, he also had the power to forgive sins. And you may say, oh, but Jesus is not God, he's the Son of God. Yes, in the Christian faith we speak about God living in community as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And St. Augustine and all the church fathers are agreed on the fact that the attributes of the Trinity are shared equally by the members of the community. So St. Augustine said the, the manifestations of the Trinity are indivisible. And that is because when one member of the Trinity is manifesting the power of forgiving sins, all the members of the Trinity are forgiving that person's sin. So Jesus, in saying your sins are forgiven, is forgiving this man's sins on behalf of the Father and the Holy Spirit as a member of the Trinity. Because that's the work of the Trinity, which is not possible to separate. So Jesus is God. And if anybody asks you for a proof text about Jesus' divinity, this is one of the New Testament proof texts. Because you and I know that only the divine has the power to forgive sins. When people commit offenses against you, you can forgive them, but you cannot forgive their sins against God. So Jesus wanted to show them in his divine self-revelation that he was divine and he had the authority to forgive sins. That's the first key point. The second key point is that Jesus also wanted to show them that as the divine son of God, he had the ability to read what was in people's hearts. So you may be here today thinking that you can hide from God. Just forget it. I tried to hide from him. Many years ago when God called me to give up medical practice, and stop being a doctor and go to Bible college to study theology. I tried to hide, and I tried to run. I was like Jonah, but I didn't get far. So don't try to hide. Don't run. You can't get far. So Jesus was telling them, I can see what is in your hearts. I can hear what you're saying, even before you open your lips to speak it. Today, he can see your lives, every single one of it, plain before him, like we're looking through glass. No hindrance whatsoever. And the scripture says that darkness is like light to him. Even the things that are hidden from us in the dark, like the passing of our 18-year-old son. And God has reassured us that his heaven is not only for elderly people, it is for all generations including teenagers, children, and babies. Can you believe that? That's one of the things that God ministered to my heart because he sees all things even before they happen. So Jesus had the power to forgive sins. Jesus had the power to read what was in people's hearts or thoughts. And today, he can forgive your sins. Today, he can read every thought in your heart. That's why we say that even in the time of prayer, 
He hears what we want to say, even before we said it, because he's divine. But the other key thing, which is the third key point, is that Jesus turned to Matthew, the tax collector, and asked him to follow him. And what did Matthew do? Matthew followed him. You can imagine how this story appears. Matthew, the calling of Matthew, appears in the middle of these miracle stories. That's because it's always a personal choice. It's always a personal choice to receive healing. It's always a personal choice to turn to Jesus. It's always a personal choice to turn our hearts to Jesus. It's always a personal choice to accept Jesus into our hearts. It's always a personal choice to become friends of Jesus. Because our God is so caring, so loving, and so pure and holy that he would never impose himself or his plans on your life. He always calls us a partnership. That's why he said in Isaiah 1, that even though your sins may may be as scarlet, they can be as white as wool. But come, let us reason together. Just think about it. The God who created the heavens and the earth, as we believe, has given you and I the free will to believe in him or not. And if you look at the miracle stories, Jesus always asked them. Because it was about their choices. In verse 2, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on the mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Can you see that? The blind man came to him and said, Jesus, please heal us. He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. It was their choice. While they were going out, a man who was possessed by a demon could not talk. And when the demon was driven out, the crowd was amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Today, it's not the church that will make the decisions for us. It's not the Bible study group. It's not your friend or family. It is you. Because this Jesus that we speak about, that's why I said it's the best news that we can have. The news of God's love for us. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the cosmos, the entire world, the creation of his hands, that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And in verse 17 it says, God did this because he did not want to condemn the world. Can you imagine? He was acting, taking initiative out of his love for us, despite the fact that we'd rebelled against him and walked away from him, turned our backs on him. He took the initiative. To go to the cross for us. So Paul picks up the concept in Romans when he says, this is God's love manifested for us. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He didn't wait for us to repent before dying on the cross. He died for us. So if you're here today thinking, oh, well, I'm not good enough to be his friend. <laughs> That's ridiculous because I used to think that as well. I used to think I wasn't good enough to enjoy his love. But that's the very reason why he did it. Because if any one of us were good enough, then we wouldn't need his love, would we? We wouldn't need his intervention, would we? But because we were not good enough to make the mark, haven't fallen from sin, he showed his abundant love for us. And today, I am the chief sinner, but I thank God for his grace. That is at work in my life. And that's the message of the gospel. The other thing that I find quite interesting from this passage is that each of these men and women who were touched by Jesus, who were called by Jesus, were people who were made in the image of God. People who were made in the image of God. Well, just think about it for a moment. That Jesus told the Pharisees. And in another text, he said to them as well, that the Son of Man has the authority, verse 6, on earth to forgive sins. What a claim. Just thinking about this claim and many other claims that Jesus made, C.S. Lewis was making a comment, which I want to share with you. He said a man who was merely a man that said the sort of things Jesus said would, be a great, would not be a great moral teacher as some people describe him. He'll be either a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he'll be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Because if you look at the claims that Jesus made, nobody ever made those claims. And even to this day, nobody has ever made similar claims after him. So Jesus stands over and above all in the history of our human experience. He stands in a unique place. People say, oh, but he was a great moral teacher like the others. No, he's not in the same class as them. My friends who are from other faiths agree with me that none of their religious leaders ever said, I am the way, so follow me. Can you think of anyone who ever said that? My friends say, yes, none of them did. My friends also agree with me from all the different faiths, because we have this, these debates regularly, that none of their religious leaders ever said, your sins are forgiven. Because they didn't have the ability to do that. None of them did. My friends tell me that they agree with the fact that there's no historic evidence or, or fact to prove that any of their religious leaders died and came back to life. None of them. So I say to my friends, look, as a result of all these facts, I therefore conclude that Jesus is not just a religious leader, but divine savior of the world. As a result of that, Christianity is not a religion, but a revelation of God to humanity. Do you agree with that? 
Christianity is an upward divine movement, the revelation of God's face to humanity, while religion is man's attempt to find God and to, in order to serve him. Because all of us are wired to serve and to worship God. Even the scientists are discovering that. You know there's a DNA for worship that's been discovered. There's a religious DNA in our beings. You wonder why we're all looking for stuff to worship. So when people don't worship Jesus, they worship something else. And if you're here today as a worshiper of Jesus, thank God for you. But if you are not a worshiper of Jesus, I beg you to worship the true God. Don't worship anything else because it's all a waste of time. I did it before, before I found Jesus. I turned my back. I turned my back on religion of what I thought was the religion of my fathers. I walked away from it until I came to a personal relationship through my encounter with Jesus. And in those early days, I remember having a terrible experience of malaria. And my head was aching like a metal workshop. And guess what? My friends in the Christian Union came to pray for me. And that night, I had an encounter. And you know, I don't, I don't, I don't tell this story to many people. I had an, a man came into my room in the student hostel. And I sat up in bed. And he literally took my head off and gave me another head. So I woke up as if I was in a dream. I just opened my eyes and thought, what's that? Woke up my my roommate, did you see anything? He said, no. But you know what happened next? I suddenly realized that the splitting headache, if you've ever had malaria and a bad one at that, the headaches that come with malaria are just so disabling. I'd had that headache for three days, not responding to any analgesic. You know, that very moment that I woke up from that dream, that vision, whatever it was. My head felt so light. And then I realized that the headache was gone. And I woke up that morning at about 3 a.m. had a shower. And my friends couldn't believe, my roommates couldn't believe what had happened. Because I'd been crippled in bed the last week. Unable to sit or stand. That was a personal healing experience that I had. And today I can tell you of lots of them. Because Jesus is real. He is alive. And I tell you, if you think it's a joke, try him out. When you get to him today, just say, Jesus, I'm going to go to the Alpha course next week. But if you're real, prove yourself to me. He always turns up. Many have tried it. So coming back to the point about Imago Dei, which is the which in English just means made in the image of God. We believe as Christian theologians that we're all created in the image of God. Whatever angle you come to the creation story or creation account, whether you're an evolutionist or not, I believe even the Big Bang, if we believe that, was started by someone. It didn't just happen as an accident in history because such things don't happen. You don't walk out of your house into your driveway and find a box of cavalier parked in front of your house that's appeared from nowhere, do you? It doesn't happen like that. You have to go to dealers to organize and arrange for it to be delivered. 
So we're made specifically by God. Each one of us specially. Each one of us with special gifts and something to contribute for his purpose. So God made us for fellowship, to know him, to fellowship with us, to be friends with us. And he wants you to keep that up. He made me for that purpose. And since I found true faith in Christ, I can tell you, I found real fulfillment in life. That's why I can wake up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's why I can do that. It doesn't matter even if Arsenal didn't win the night before. I was still saying that. Or like at the World Cup when we were knocked out in semifinals. I still woke up the next morning and sang, this is the day. My wife would tell you. Because Jesus gives us that real peace and satisfaction. Even when our son passed, Jesus gave us peace and deep satisfaction in his friendship with us. And so we could continue to run. So my friends, what's your purpose? I know some of you may have found it out. But if you haven't, I encourage you to spend time with Jesus. But first, you have to be good friends of Jesus. You have to be friends with Jesus before you can find your purpose in him. Because it's only in him that we find our purpose. And to C.S. Lewis again, I come back to him. I like C.S. Lewis so much because he puts this thing so practically. He said, I'd rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature I could think of in alternative. Because to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest. Just think about it. That the God who made the universe, as we believe as Christians, has time for you, made you, so special, so wonderful, so beautiful, so unique, that nobody else in this world has the same fingerprint as you. Just think about that. Think about how special you are to him. No wonder King David said in the Psalms, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazing, isn't it? And it just fills my heart with joy. Fills my heart with joy. Joy unthinkable. That he who knew me in my mother's womb called me to be who I am. Caraway in his world. Cares about every detail of my life. Because I went to the cross. Died for my sin. That was part of his plan. And all the initiative and the idea was from him. The execution of it was from him. Because people say, oh, but that's too unfair. How could his son die? Why did the father send his son to die? No, it's not like that. Remember what I said earlier? That the external functions and manifestations of the Trinity are indivisible. So God was in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Dying on the cross for us. So theologically, it wasn't just Christ that was hanging on the cross. The Father was in him by the power of his Spirit. And Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You can see it there. 
that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, so that we who were with sin were made to be without sin, because he who was innocent was made to be with sin. And now we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's an amazing privilege, amazing place to be when you come to faith in Jesus. And when I came to faith in Jesus, I found that that was one of the amazing, the most special places to be. So I wasn't just made in his image. I was made for his purpose. I was made for his plan. And I was made to bring something to the table to bless the world that he called me to be part of. And as I finish, you may know and remember that left on our own, the human predicament is one of hopelessness. Sin, fall, guilty as charged. That's our predicament. And there's no hope. But thank God for Jesus. Jesus comes into the picture because he came as one of us by the incarnation of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about God becoming flesh, spirit becoming man, to reveal God's plan of salvation to us. So Christ lived like one of us, died like one of us, but came back to life, conquering death, the last enemy. And today he can give us forgiveness from sin, fear of death, freedom from guilt, and hope of life eternal. That was the hope I spoke about when I talked about Joshua with a smile on my face. I didn't talk about Joshua with tears streaming down my eyes. That's not because my heart is not hurting, but because I'm holding on to the hope. That's my choice. That is our choice, to hold on to the hope of life eternal that Jesus gives to us and our loved ones, even when they are asleep in him. Because on that day, he would have the final say. So I believe in Christ. Because the evidence is astounding. If I was looking for evidence as a scientist, the evidence is more than enough. It's beyond reasonable doubt. If I could prove it in a law court, yes, I could prove it in a law court. In a law court. And C.S. Lewis said this as I finish, that I believe in Christ like I believe in the Son. Not because I can see it, but because by it I can see everything. Amazing, isn't it? Every morning you wake up in your bedroom. The night is over. The dawn has come. And streaks of light filter into your room. And you can see the light, but you can't see the sun from the angle of your bed where it's located in your room. But you know it is daylight because the light is filtering into your room. That's how it is. And so speaking further on that, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I can see everything. But today, the choice is yours. And the choice is man. And church is just an added benefit for us to help each other grow together in the faith. So I recommend very highly to my friends that the best place to be on a Sunday morning is church. You may not agree with that, but that's my theory. Because every time I've done that, I've been so greatly blessed. 
And I recommend it for you. Because church, you may not find the word church in the Bible. As some people argue that, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I say, yes, that's true. Because going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, does it? Doesn't, does it? But Christians go to church. Ah, they do. Just as teachers teach. Engineers do engineering. Isn't it? Bakers do vicaring. In the Acts of the Apostles, they came together to encourage each other, to share fellowship, to pray together, to read the word of God, and to break bread. And they had parties like this. And in, so in, a, in the writer of Hebrews, whoever we agree it is, said, do not forsake the gathering together of one another. That's why it's so amazing to see so many of you here today. And I thank God for what you're doing. But imagine how much you can serve this community. Because you come to church for an MOT service. So that on Monday to Saturday, you're out in service for God. So hold on to that. But if you're here, and you've never joined the church, and you're thinking about it, I highly recommend it as well. Because it's good for your health. It's true. The social scientists have said that. I haven't said it. They've done the researches. They've said going to church is good for your health. When you go to church and people pray with you and pray for you, you recover better from surgery. You recover better from illnesses when you're in the hospital. You, you have better financial prospects. Your marriage lasts longer. You, bet, you have better health. They've done the researches. I didn't do it. So church is good for you. I recommend it. And I'll send a bill later. <laughs> but I finish with a story. Came across the story of a colony of church mice. These church mice had found life so difficult because the church cats were getting really fast. And they were getting older. So they prayed to God for a solution. And one Sunday morning after church, they came out of their hiding places and discovered that little Harry had left his skateboard in church. So they learned how to skateboard. From one end of the church to the other, one the west end to the east end, and they were learning and getting faster and faster at it. And they thought, yes, God is solution. Answer to our prayers. And the church cats peered out and saw them and thought, let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for providing us with meals on wheels. <laughs> Today, I don't know what the prayer in your heart is, but I want to pray for you now and pray that you'll be able to make that commitment, if you haven't, because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day, if you're here, you are not here by accident. If you're part of this church, fantastic. If you've been invited to come, like me, I'm a stranger here. It's my first time here. The last time I came here, many, many years ago, was when William Wimberfuss was still here. No, that's a joke. Actually, the last time I came here was about 20 years ago. But remember something. In God's economy, there are no coincidences. There are no accidents in history. Because he's a God who sees the end from the beginning. Our tomorrows are before him plainly, like you can look through the glass. So he knows that you're going, he knew you were going to be here today. And he's brought me to share this message with you. So let us pray. I'm going to pray, first of all, for those who already know Jesus. 
and want to strengthen their faith in him. And I'm going to ask that God will just bless them and encourage them. Lord, I pray for every member of your family in this community, that you'll encourage them to grow in their faith, to get deeper in their discipleship with you, and to press in more with you in their friendship, and to take your words more seriously, and grow in confidence to be able to share the message of the good news. I also want to pray, Lord, for those who may not have become your friends yet. But I hear today, either by invitation or by being brought to church with your friends or family, Lord, I pray that you touch their hearts. It's a message of peace, peace and reconciliation through Christ. Because you love us so much that you gave your only son to die for our sins so that each one of us will be brought into a friendship with you and be saved from damnation. And so I want to say a simple prayer. If you want to make friends with Jesus, please say this simple prayer after me. It's simple just to say, first of all, Lord, I thank you for making provision for my sins to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Lord, I confess my sins to you. I repent of my sins. Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and take control of my life and be Lord of my life. I hand over the control to you and I will be your child, happy to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me my sins. Cleanse me. Come by your Holy Spirit and live in my life and help me to be the person you want me to be. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.